Well, good morning. We're excited to worship the Lord this morning. Amen. He is worthy of all of our praise, not just some of it, all of it. So let's praise him like we would, you know, more than we would for a football game. Amen. Let's praise him like he's worthy, like he's won, that he defeated death, that he is still king of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we love you. We just give you all of our worship this morning in Jesus' name.
Yes, Father, you are worthy, Lord. We just give you our worship this morning, knowing that you are just so, so good. Today, yesterday, and forever, Lord, you will always be good because you are unchanging. You're still a miracle-working God. Just come, Father. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. 
You're under my feet, oh giant, for the king has overcome. And I just felt the question arise in me. Do you think that the Israelites feared Goliath after David killed him? After the Lord had given him the tools to knock his giant down, do you think that they were still in fear of that giant? Because I don't. I think that they chased the Philistines and they pushed them back from where they were. And I just hear him say, defeated your giant why are you worried about it any longer I've already conquered your anxiety so why are you allowing yourself to live in fear again he's already won the battle he's already won the war whom shall I fear because my champion he has already won he's already paid the price there's nothing that I can do that will not will separate me from the love of God or you have had, whether it be addiction, fear, anxiety, health issues, let's just claim that God has defeated our giant, that he is our champion. Who else can we fear? There is no one bigger than our God. 
I don't want to live a life where the enemy believes in Jesus more than I believe in Jesus. Amen. Let's believe in him. Believe that he will set us free because the Bible says whom the son sets free is free indeed. So let's live as if we're free, as if we have no shackles, no more chains, no more bondage. Grace. 
Amen. Amen. 
Good morning. Let me go ahead and take up tithe and offering first. I'm not going to say much about it. I'm just going to say that it's good to give to the Lord. Amen. And when we come, come and give what's on your heart. Right? Doesn't the word say, give what you've intended in your heart? Right? It's right in there. But just plan to be a giver. Plan to be a radical giver for the Lord. What do we have that he hasn't given us? <laughs> right? Every day he gives. The word said in that song, I don't want to abuse your grace, but God, I need it every day. Right? So he's saying, it's not an abuse of my grace to want it and need it every day. So every day we should be like, well, God, how can I give? And so right now we're going to take up the offering and give what's in your heart to give. But be a cheerful giver. Amen. We'll pray a blessing for that. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in being radical givers for your kingdom as a response to the love that you've given us. You're the first one to show love, Lord. We didn't love you first. Give us grace and faith so we could believe in love so much that you died for us. So I pray that you give us grace to be radical givers, Lord. Let us put you to the test. See what you're going to do when we give because you've said that you will outgive us. Lord, you've said that you won't stop giving. Every day you give grace. You said today's a new day. Grace, mercy is new every morning. And we need it every day, Lord. So bless this offering, Lord. We offer it to you as a response to what you've done and how much you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can bring it on up if you've got it. I do have a couple announcements. October 15th, 6 p.m., Youth Hangout Squared right here. So uh, fifth grade and up, fifth through 12th grade right here. Bring your Bible. Kids, bring your Bible to this. And you know what? Bring your Bible every service, right? You can carry that sucker with you. I used to carry one of the little Gideon Bibles in my pocket all the time because when I first got saved, I was, I was always wanting to talk about the Lord. And I'd be like, oh, the Word says this. Wait, wait, does it say that? You know what I mean? I have to check it out. And I had just always had it with me. It slides right in there. That's why they made it that way. Carry your Bible with you and bring it to that event, certainly. October 28th, 6 p.m., uh, Women's Bonfire at the Brown Residence. Where are they in Children's Church? But if you don't know where that is, ask Drew or Sarah. Uh, women only. And we're still doing Christmas shoeboxes in the back. Any questions about that? See Tim or no, see Bill and Patsy. Um, that's a camp, that's a, a not a campus-wide thing, but it's, it's all the campuses, right? We're all doing this Christmas shoebox, okay? We're helping those who who need some joy, right? Just need to be brought a little joy. Um, with that, I'm going to say, obviously, Pastor Kylan isn't here today. Uh, he's preaching at the Botkins campus. We did a little pastor swap today. You know what I mean? Because most of you guys uh, know Pastor Tim, the master. He's been here before. If you've got youth and they ever go up to Botkins, this is the man they're going to see. This is the one they're going to have preaching the gospel to him because he's got a call to preach the gospel. But he's not just called to preach the gospel to youth because he's here. And I know he speaks there too to the adults, right? 
So he's fulfilling a call that the Lord has called in his life to preach the gospel, and he hasn't laid out terms for the Lord, like, well, I'll only do it if it's at my home church. He's here today. Drives an hour to get here or so, right? So he's saying, I'm just gonna preach the gospel. I'm gonna fulfill that call in my life because the Lord said, go and speak. And so wherever that happens to be, that's where I'm gonna be. That's why he's here today. So that's what he's coming to do today, to preach the gospel, amen? Welcome him here. Kind of get us going. So Sawyer, if you would uh, come on down here, my man. He's going to help me out with a little illustration. Uh, I forgot a new rule I got to give you. So here's what, Sawyer's going to act out some roles for you, and we want to see if you can figure out who he is. He has to start off without talking, he's just got to act it out, and if you can't figure it out, then I'll allow him to start talking. So uh, here we go, first, first character. Well, we're not there yet. Oh, Darth Vader, very good. Yeah, he was Darth Vader. Now, how did you know, how did you know that he was Darth Vader? The shirt. <laughs> yeah, it was the shirt. I, I'm a little surprised he didn't like try to just force choke somebody. You know, that would have been a dead giveaway. But yeah, very good. All right, next character. Do you remember? Okay, go for it. It's hard to do without being able to talk, isn't it? All right, I'll let you talk on this one. Batman, yeah. Now, how were you able to identify that, though? Yeah, he talked, he talked, yeah. And, but you're, you're familiar with the stories, though, right? Like, if you weren't familiar with the story, if he said, come here, Robin, you'd be like, why is this kid talking to birds? Like, what is the deal? Right? There's a story behind this that when he starts acting out the part, you, you immediately get to identify who he, who, what story he's involved in. All right, last character. You ready? No words. You got to act this one out. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you, come here. Oh, yeah, he goes for his dad. Yeah. Now, how were you able to identify he was Jesus right there? See, he was washing his feet, right? 
Yeah, here's my point. I, I, when I was a kid, I loved acting. Thank you. Give it up for Sawyer. He did a fantastic job. When I was a kid growing up, I really liked acting. In fact, I got a big opportunity to be involved in this play uh, for, a, for an actual theater company. It was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And I got to be the rotten best friend to the lead character. And we what, did all sorts of... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I got to be the, the rotten best friend. But here's the deal. I had to get a script... And I had to find out who my character was in the script. And then I had to find out what is my character supposed to be like. Because I don't want to be in the legend of Sleepy Hollow and walk around poking people. Because you would know, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not, that's not the right story, right? That's kind of my point with the Bible. Is the Bible is telling us a very specific story. And as believers in Jesus, what we claim to believe is that this is the story that we believe in. Like, I believe in this story. I believe that this story is informing my life, that, that I'm supposed to find who I am in this script. Are you with me? So here, this is the, that's the premise for today, but I want to show you how when you dive into the story, the story actually starts to create who you are as a person. That's what I want to show you. And, and just so you know, the story of Christians, like the story you're supposed to buy into, doesn't start in Matthew chapter 1. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, Right? So I want to show you this. In 2 Timothy, we're going to j jump around to some different scriptures. Pastor Kylan told me I could keep you here as long as I wanted to. So that just helps him look really good. When I go super long and then he comes back and he just delivers an on-time message, you'll all be like, we love him. We, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Paul's writing to Timothy, and this is what he says to him. He says, but as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. And look at this. And he says, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able, this is so cool, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the scriptures, meaning your Bible, it's able to make you wise for salvation. Now, here's what I need you to understand, okay? The salvation isn't a one-time event. It's not like you just pray. The salvation is about what God is doing in the world. And salvation starts with the moment we come to the place where we put our faith in Jesus and we say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the story that God is telling, and that's the story I'm committing myself to. Right? That's, it's about saying Jesus is truly Lord of all creation. Whatever he says is what's right, and I'm going with Jesus. So that's the entry point into salvation. But what scripture teaches us over and over again is that Jesus wants to lead us to abundant life. So salvation is a journey with Jesus about learning how to find it. And Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, hey, I just want you to know that the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Which means we need to be in the scriptures, right? He says that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're working this salvation out. 
Why? Because it's not a one-time moment. It's a lifetime of following Jesus and, and letting the scriptures and the Holy Spirit inform us in how to live in the salvation that God actually wants for us. Right? I mean, if you use the Exodus as your example, uh, it's not like God sent Moses to just say, hey, tell my people they're now free. And so Moses showed up in, in Egypt and was like, hey, I got good news for you all. You're free. And then Moses left and was like, be blessed. Right? No, there was the actual process of walking into freedom and walking to the promised land. And they made a ton of mistakes and all that stuff. But God was faithful, all that stuff. But there's a process to this thing. We have to work out our salvation. And the scriptures are what will make us wise for salvation. And it says, I don't know that he says this to the church in Philippi. If that gets annoying to you guys, I'll turn it off. So just let me know. I don't know why it's doing it. Maybe I'm looking down too much. Hold my shirt down like this. All right. <clears throat> He says, for it is God who works in you. Here's the good news. When you put your faith in Jesus and you buy into his story, God is at work with you to help you live out the character that you, not, you now are in his story. But he says, but he's doing this. God's working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What is God's good purpose for us? That's a great question. And we're going to find the answer to it all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. So we need the scriptures. Here's what Psalms 1 says. It says that blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. It says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Bible says that when we are consuming ourselves in God's word and we're living according to his word for our life, that we're like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that mean? It means that God's life-giving presence is consistently accessible to you. That it's just when you're meditating on his word, when you're diving into the story, and you're just letting it consume your life, that God's presence in his life is being just flowing into you. And he's bringing about his good purpose for you. But what's his good purpose? We haven't got there yet. Let me show you one other thing about the importance of just living in the story that is the Bible. In Joshua chapter 1 Verses 6 through 9, that's what we're going to look at. But I need to set this up for you. Moses, the great deliverer, right, who showed up and led God's people out of bondage in Egypt into freedom uh, all the way to the promised land. He didn't get to make it into the promised land, but he led them all the way to the door of the promised land. Moses is dead. And Moses' successor, Joshua, is going to rise up and be the new leader of Israel, right? And this is what God says to Joshua as he's getting ready to lead his chosen nation. He says, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. They're like, all right, if I'm going to do what God put me on this earth to do, I need to be strong and courageous, right? We're tracking with this. But then he goes on and he says, be strong and very courageous. Why? Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. I'm going to hold this up. Maybe this is the problem. 
He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, what did God say Joshua was going to do? Joshua was going to lead the people to the promised land. I don't know if you've read Joshua yet or not, but they encounter a lot of trial. There's a lot of battles that they got to fight. And here's the interesting thing is God doesn't tell him, hey, be strong and courageous and develop a great battle strategy. No, what did God say? What will, what will make Joshua successful and prosperous in everything that he sets forth to do? His adherence to the word. That's what he said. Be strong and courageous so that you can meditate on my law day and night so that it's always on your lips. If you will just... Dig yourself, Joshua, into my law. If you'll listen to what I'm telling you and you'll get my words inside of you, then you'll be successful and you'll prosper. The word is absolutely pivotal in our lives. If we're going to live out the story of Jesus so that it's so easy when someone looks at us, just as we could watch Sawyer grab his dad and start to watch his, wash his feet and go, he's being Jesus right now. That's what's supposed to happen in our lives. That we're so in tune to the story that God has given us. We're so connected to Jesus through his word that the way we live our lives, people just look at us and go, hey, they look a lot like Jesus. Right? He's tracking with me. This is the story we're supposed to be in. Just like when I was that kid playing in the legend of Slippy Hollow and they said, here's your script. Here's what you're supposed to act like. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're just a rotten brat that gets in trouble all the time. And I was able to fully, I mean, I was like 12, you know, I fully lived in that role. But then now I've been given a new role. I've been given a new way to look at life. And if I'm going to live it out well, I've got to immerse myself in God's scriptures. And God says, if you do this, you're going to be blessed and everything you do is going to prosper. It doesn't mean you won't encounter hardship. Can't, you got to read the whole story. But the word's so important for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to just show you guys a little bit. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you how when you just read the story and you track with what it's actually saying to you, you can find life in it and you can find wisdom. Remember Paul told Timothy, hey, the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. So we need to read the scriptures going, there's a story that it's trying to tell me that if I'll pay attention to the story, it's going to make me wise to walk in God's salvation and discover God's good purpose for me. Okay? So Genesis chapter 1, I think we can all find this in the Bible. It's not very obscure. All right, let's start reading. Now, heres I just want to encourage you with this. The Bible is not just a story, but it is a story. Like the majority of your Bible is what we call narrative, which is story. It's telling us a story, but it's telling us a story while doing theology. It's trying to tell you a story. So like, just like you would pick up any other book, like the Lord of the Rings, you're going to pay attention to all the details. If you're reading it well, you're going to, you know, you might just be breezing through it, whatever, but you're going to pay attention to the details. You want to know what are the characters like? What is the setting? What is, what is everybody's motivation? Who's the bad guy here? What's the whole point of this thing? You're going to pay attention to those details. And I think that sometimes we treat the Bible like we're too familiar with it and we miss some of these things. So I'm going to just help us read the first four chapters of Genesis and try to try to make some observations here. Okay. I know it sounds daunting. We can do this. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does everything exist? Because of God, right? It's level 1, God created everything. If you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can think it, because God made it, right? 
This is the story that the Bible wants us to believe. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now watch this. God saw that the light was good. Now, I'm going to just point this out to you. We're not going to read all of it. I'm going to point it out to you. If you keep reading everything that God's creating, God says that it is good. And when he's all done, he says it's very good. Genesis 1 is letting us know something very specific. Whenever you see repeated words or phrases, you can know this is important. Here's what's really important, is that God is the one who is establishing what is good. God gets to determine what is good. Now, some light bulbs should be going off. If you're familiar with Genesis, you're like, what is that one tree they're told not to eat from? The knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 1 has set us up and said, God is the only one determining what is good throughout this whole story, right? This is going to be so important for us to pay attention to. So God created everything. God is the one that gets to determine what is good. And then we go down to, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creation or creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, now let's point out a couple of observations. God creates humanity. Why? What did it say? What was the purpose that God created? What was the purpose he gave us? Huh? Yeah, he created us in his image, but why did he create us? Okay, yeah, there we go. He, he said, I'm going to create them so that they can rule over my creation. Do you see that? What is our purpose in this world? Is to co-rule with God over his good creation. Okay? And then what is the first thing that God does for his new humanity? He blesses them. Do you see what God, do you see what the scriptures are trying to teach us? What, who created everything? God did. Who created us? God did. Why did God create us? To rule and reign with him. There's this unique divine partnership that we're supposed to have with God. And then God's desire for his human creation is that we are blessed. Right? Are we tracking with the story? We rule and reign over his good creation and we're blessed by God. That's what his desire is. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 2 and you're tracking with the story, you're going to see something really interesting. Genesis chapter 2 is letting you know what it looks like when everything's going according to plan. Right? So it says, and, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but if you read Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, you'll discover that the creation accounts are different. There's like a different ordering to them, but I think it's on purpose. It's, why? Because it's trying to teach us something. So let's just read it. Starting in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So we're just doubling down. God created all this stuff. Now look, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Okay, so what is that teaching us? God is the one that gives the earth what it needs for life to be possible. Right? Nothing's happened yet. The earth is here. And it says nothing's growing yet. Why? Because the Lord hadn't sent the water yet. The Lord is who provides the necessary ingredients for life to take place. But look at this. It says, the Lord God had not sent the rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. 
you see the need for that human divine relationship? The Bible let us know this is why God put humans on the earth, and now it's letting us know, look at what's happening when God's not providing the necessary ingredients and when humans aren't there to do their role. Nothing's happening. Do you see that? So then it says, then the Lord God, or it says, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. All right, so God did his part. He's giving the earth what it needs to produce it. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then we get into the tree stuff and we get into how the water is now spreading all over the earth. It's very good, very good. Uh, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Why? Because that's what he created us for, to rule and reign over his good creation as we're blessed by him. And the Lord commanded, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Genesis 1 has already showed us that God gets to determine what is good. The one tree that we're not supposed to eat from is the one that gives us the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God's the only one that should determine what is good. And we should be looking to God for that wisdom, not to a tree, right? You see this happening right now. And he says, when you eat from it, you will die. And then we get the whole, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to, ma to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. What is happening? We are doing what God put us on the earth to do. God is creating the life, and we are getting to rule and reign over it, so much so that God says, this is what I put you here to do. Adam, you name all the animals. Do you see this? This is, this is creation doing what it was created to do. We're living in the purpose for which God created it. For all the teenagers here, this is in your Bible, so it'll be okay. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep or fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of a man. Now look at this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. And then look at this. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, let me just ask you, church, why does the Bible say that verse? The Bible does not have to tell us that they were naked and felt no shame. So why does it? Here's why. At least this is one reason why. God wants humanity to be blessed. And in this state where everything is working according to plan, God is providing life to the earth. Humans are ruling over it in partnership with God. Everything is wonderful. And the human relationship is so perfect that they're completely exposed and vulnerable to one another and they feel no shame. It's an image of this is a perfect relationship. Their relationship with God is perfect. Their relationship with one another is perfect. There's no reason to hide from one another or feel shame around each other. Everything is great. Genesis chapter 2 is what it's supposed to be like. You see that? So we know God created everything. We know that God is the one that gets to determine what is good. We know that God created humans to rule and reign in partnership with him over his good creation. And we know that human beings are created for each other and to be blessed by God. That's what God wants. Genesis 2 shows us this is working out really well. And then Genesis 3 happens. Let's read it. Now the serpent. Now we should be stopping immediately. 
why are we talking about a serpent? This whole story has been about how God created everything and God created man and God said it was all good and he said, man, here's what your job is. You're going to rule and reign over my good creation in partnership with me. I will give the earth what it needs to produce life and you will go and you'll just take care of it. You'll rule over it for me. Now all of a sudden a serpent shows up and our brain should be going, hold up, why, what, who, stop, full stop, what's happening right now? It's where it takes a weird turn. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now you should just pause and go, who's supposed to rule over the animals? Man, this is a weird dynamic happening right now that a creature is now talking to the human who's supposed to rule the creature. You see this? The Bible is teaching us something. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent said, well, you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. We'll pause right there. Who, whose image were we made in? So weird that the serpent's like, you'll be like God when we already were created in his image. Do you see how that's odd? There's this like perversion of what God planned and what God wanted. There's like this perversion of it happening. He says, you'll be like God knowing good and evil, but we should be going, wait a minute. Genesis 1 went to great lengths to show us that God gets to determine what is good. Right? So we should just, we should be tracking with that story. says, uh, you will not certainly die. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then check this out. When the woman saw, you guys remember in Genesis chapter one, God creates, and then it very specifically says, God saw and it was good. Do you see what's happening? An inversion of the story where God is supposed to be looking and seeing it. Now it says, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. What is happening? Everything's falling apart. Genesis 2 showed us what everything looks like when it's going well. They're naked and unashamed. They're together in perfect relationship. The moment they try to determine, this is so just crazy. The first time human beings try to determine what is good, we ruin everything. This is, the Bible is trying to teach you something. The first time you try to determine what is good apart from God's wisdom, you can just know you're setting yourself up for failure. In fact, you can track that same idea all throughout the Bible. There are multiple times throughout the entire Old Testament where a situation will happen and someone will look and the Bible will go, and they saw that it was good. And you're like, oh no, it's going to happen again. And it does. David and Bathsheba, he looks and he goes, that looks good. And you know, oh man, he's going to blow it. And what happened? He blows it, murder. I just, the very, it's just so important for us to realize the very first time, it's not even like there was a three strike in your out rule. The first time we tried to determine what was good for ourselves and they were in a perfect state. Did you realize that? There was no fallen nature in them yet. They were in a perfected state and they still were incapable of choosing the right thing. They could not determine what was good. Why? Because Genesis 1 makes us know God is the only one that can do that. 
When you try to step out of God's wisdom and determine what is good for yourselves, church, you can know you're setting yourself up for pain and suffering and sorrow. It gets better. It gets better. So if you keep going, you're going to find out that that God deals with the situation. We see that human relationships are now fractured, where in Genesis 2, when everything's going according to God's plan, everything is wonderful and everybody's naked with everybody and it's, it's great. Now we are clothing ourselves from one another and we're hiding from God. So we see immediately that what has sin done to us, it's fractured human relationships and it's fractured our relationship with God. Interesting, though, that God still is looking for them. They're the ones hiding from God. That's important. It's important for you to track with that story. Why? Because even in all of our failures and mistakes, who's the one still pursuing? The Lord is. The Lord is. And it's important. Why? Why did God create humans to rule and reign as good earth? And what was God's first thing? What was God's first act towards his new humanity? He blessed them. What does the Bible teach us in the very opening chapter that God's heart towards humanity is? Blessed. He wants to bless them. That's his purpose. That's his design. That's what he wants. And the beauty of the story of the Bible and the Gospels is that God never gives up on that. No matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we betray God, no matter how many times we try to determine what is good for ourselves and pursue it and mess our entire lives up and everyone else's lives with us, every time we do that, God's heart is still to bless. Why? Because when he goes and he talks to the serpent down in verse 14... He looks at the serpent and he says, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, the messianic hope first shows up right here. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I just want to stop right there. God created us to rule and reign over creation, Right? In this moment in Genesis 3, we inverted it. Instead of ruling over God's creation, we allowed it to rule over us. We were deceived by God's creation, right? We fall in sin. We try to choose what's good for ourselves. We mess the whole thing up. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. From the seed of this woman, because you were created to rule and reign in the first place, from the seed of this woman, there will come one who will crush that serpent's head. I will defeat that beast. Now, how many of you have ever read your genealogies in your Bible? And just loved them. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. How many of you just skip it when you get there? It's okay if you do. I did for a long time too. Can I just tell you why it's there? Because God promised a seed from the woman will crush the serpent's head. You know why they keep repeating the genealogies? Because from that moment, you're supposed to be looking in the Bible for the one who's coming to crush the serpent's head. And then you get to Noah and the flood and everything falls apart and just, and it's crazy. And then you get to Abraham and God's like, okay, let's restart again. Abraham, through your line, the Messiah will come. That one that I promised who will crush the serpent's head, he will come from your line. That's why your genealogy is important because from Genesis chapter three, we are looking as we engage with the rest of the Bible, we're looking for the one who was promised who would crush the serpent's head from the seed of the woman. So we're tracking that story. We're going, when's he going to show up? When's he going to show up? This is where Genesis 4 gets even worse. It's because we get this prophetic promise that there's going to come a seed from the woman, and that seed is going to crush that serpent that just tricked you. He's going to come back and crush it. That's good news. And we're like, yay. All right. Genesis chapter 4 happens. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil, and in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. But you must what? Rule over it. Why? Because that's what God created us to do in the first place. And Genesis chapter 3 introduces sin in the form of a beast, a creature that God created. The thing we're supposed to rule over is like the embodiment of sin. In fact, you don't, you don't even know that that was Satan until you get to the New Testament. Pretty wild little Bible nugget for you there. So Genesis 3 ends with a messianic hope. There will be a child of the woman who will crush the serpent. Then you're immediately introduced to her first two children. And in your brain, you're going... This woman's going to have a, there's going to be a kid from her that will crush the serpent. And so you're like, this is it. We're going to have this child that's going to crush the serpent. And then you start reading the story and you're like, oh no, that's not what's going to happen right here. Like, what are you doing? Verse eight, now Cain said to his brother Abel, right? God's just like, hey dude, sin's crouching at your door. You must rule over it. Verse eight, now Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Clearly, this guy is not the one we're waiting for. You see that? Now I want to show you how the scriptures are able to teach us how to be wise unto salvation. If you're reading the story properly, and you're grabbing a hold of these themes, what you're going to see is God shows up to Cain's life and he says, Hey, Cain, listen to me. Sin's crouching at your door. What does that sound like? It sounds like a yeah.
Thank you. This will be better. When we immerse ourselves in the story, and we're reading it like a narrative, like this is a story that's supposed to capture my attention in my heart. Now what happens is I start to look at my own life and I go, man, I really need to be careful about trying to determine what is good in my own, right? It also trains me to go, there's this thing that's crouching, that's trying to control and manipulate my life. And if I give in to that thing, everything goes really bad. But what was God's desire for humans? That we would be blessed. And that we would be blessed relying on his wisdom to determine what is good. Right? Let me show you a couple of ways that we can read this and continue to see it in the scriptures. In Jeremiah 29, if you'll turn your Bibles there, I'm not going to take too much longer, I promise. Is this okay? You guys, is this good? I love this stuff. Like, I could literally nerd out talking about this stuff forever. It's so interesting to me. And when you start reading it this way and you start catching these ideas and you start tracking them through Scripture, you're just like, oh, man, the Bible is really trying to help me out here, and I've been ignoring what it's saying, you know? Like, I mean, just think about that, like the sin crouching at your door. How many times in your own life have you determined what would be good and it went really poorly for you? And the Bible's like, yeah, I tried to tell you that. Like, don't do that thing where you try to determine what is good. It will go bad for you. Um, the Bible's trying to give us this wisdom. So in Jeremiah chapter 29, here's the setup. Uh, the nation of Israel has been naughty. They've been determining what is good in their own eyes, and they've been consistently walking away from the things of God. They're not doing what God created us to do. Live according to his wisdom and be blessed by him. They're doing their own thing, and God's caused them to be exiled, right? Remember Adam and Eve? they were exiled out of the garden like you guys can't you can't live that way here you're you're gone well Israel God's chosen people they entered the promised land and God's like hey it's like a new Eden you got to live right and they're not and so God's like guess what you're gone you're exiled you're not going to live that way in my land right and so we need to realize like the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. It's really important for us to know that when we consistently live in rebellion towards God, we do not get to experience what God wants for us. What is God's will and his purpose for our lives? That we're blessed and we're ruling his good creation with him, but we cannot do it our own way thinking we can determine what is good in our own eye and bring violence into his good world. He's going to remove that. That's actually the whole prophetic hope, by the way, is when Jesus comes back again, he will actually forever remove everything that causes pain and suffering and sorrow and death, which is sin, and the people who are aligned with it. He says, in my new creation, when I come back the next time, I'm going to finish the work, and everything that causes evil and causes sin, I'm going to remove. He's going to clean house. Why is it important for us to share the gospel with people? Because what is God's desire? That we're blessed and we're ruling with him over his good creation. We are the ones that alienate ourselves from his good purpose. Right? Do you see this? And so we share the gospel because we do believe Jesus is coming back. And we believe that when he comes back, he's actually cleaning house. And those who have submitted to his lordship get to experience a reality for eternity where there are no more things that cause us sorrow, pain, suffering, and death. And the church says, amen, Jesus, come Lord. Right? Like, we're ready for that. Except make sure you get all of that out of me first. Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like... 
So in Jeremiah 29, 11, God is bringing judgment on the nation of Israel because they've been bad, and he sent them into captivity, and there's a bunch of fake prophets walking around going, hey, don't worry about it, guys. This is going to be like a weekend trip. We're just going to camp out for a week, and then God's going to rescue us. And God sends Jeremiah, and he's like, go tell those idiots to shut their mouths, and you tell the people what I'm actually saying. And Jeremiah shows up, and he's like, hey, you're going to be there for 70 years. This is not a week trip, people. In fact, you're going to be there so long that God says when you get there, you need to just have families, marry your kids off, build houses. You're here for the long haul. He says, seek the good of this city because if it prospers, you're going to prosper while you're there. Right? You're, you're here for the long haul. But look at what Jeremiah, in 20, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Super famous verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And everyone who's tracking what the story of the Bible goes, that's what God wanted in the first place. He wanted us ruling his good creation and being blessed by him. What is, what is the Bible telling us? That God is consistently just trying to get us back to where he started us. To his original will. His original purpose. Rule with me. Reign with me. Be blessed by me. That's what God is consistently trying to do. And he's telling Israel, yeah, you're going into judgment. But my heart for you is the same as it was the day I created humans in the first place. That's good news, people. This changes your paradigm of he's not a big angry God that's just upset. He's a God who is passionately trying to get us back to that place of original blessing. That's a good God. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will answer or I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And if you're thinking back to Genesis, you're going, hey, who was the one hiding from whom? God was pursuing Adam and Eve, even in their fallen state. They were the ones trying to hide. And God's letting us know, if you'll just turn back and you'll come look, you will find me. I'm not hiding from you. I'm ready to restore you. My goal is to bring restoration and reconciliation. This Just turn back. Do you see it? But he's letting us know there has to be a turning back. We call this repentance. There has to be a turning back to find him. Right? Let me take you in another place. This is the New Testament. Now, if you're tracking with Genesis, what we've read so far, this should sound really familiar to you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I actually write all the verses in my iPad. I just turn the pages so that I can time myself properly for everyone using a real Bible, you know? Yeah, you're welcome. I realized in the youth ministry that, like, I would start preaching and the kids would just be like, <laughs> like, maybe I should slow down a little bit. It's easier to see the bigger text on the iPad. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to stand here and be like this. I guess old age. I don't know. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Remember, we're tracking with the whole biblical story up to this point. Peter writes to the believers and he says this, Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil... He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Does that not sound so similar to Genesis 4 when God said, Hey, Cain, sin's crouching at your door. 
Now, when I was a younger person, I used to read this and I used to think, that stupid devil could be behind every closed door waiting to just take me out. But if you're tracking with the whole Bible story and you're tracking with Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, you know something. That the only tool the devil has is to try to get you to do something stupid. Why? Because he can try to persuade and manipulate, but who is the ones in all of those stories actually bringing pain and suffering into the world? Humans. Our choice is what actually caused the suffering and the pain and the death. All he can do is try to manipulate and persuade. Well, this changes everything for me. Because now I'm not walking around in fear going, man, if I walk through this door, the devil might get me. No, now I'm walking and going, okay, what do I need to do? If I'm going to beat the devil, if I'm not going to give in, what do I need to do? He says, hey, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, what is happening? What's being said here? That the devil is winning in some people's lives. How do you explain something like Hitler? How do you explain something like that in the Holocaust? Other than there is some dark, evil power at work in the world. But here's the thing is that Peter's like, you can rule this. You can overcome this thing. You don't have to give in to it, even though it might gain power over you temporarily. Why? Because people will give in. Just like Abel was murdered by Cain. People will give in to the beast. But what is the hope? What does the scripture teach? Hey, don't fear man who can only destroy your body. Fear God who has the ability to throw your body and soul into hell, right? What is the Bible trying to say? You don't have to fear what they can do to you because even if they kill you, what will God do? Raise you back to life. That's pretty discouraging, by the way, if you kill somebody and they just keep coming back to life. That's like, you're like, what is the deal? Right? Like, um, never mind. I didn't, I'm not going to go there. I will go there. I'll just say it for fun. I don't remember which, which person it is specifically. I believe it's John the Revelator who wrote Revelation. If I'm not mistaken, they tried to kill him so many times, and every time they attempted it, it wouldn't work. And they were just like, what are we going to do with this guy? Because he's claiming Jesus is the Christ, right, the Messiah. We keep trying to kill him, and he just won't die. What do we do with somebody like that? Because people are believing him. Because we're trying to kill him, and he's not dying. Let's throw him on an island somewhere where he can't bother anybody, you know, like so he gets exiled to Patmos. It's just, that's cool. I think it's cool. He says, resist, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Here's what the scriptures have taught me to do at this point. I know from Genesis 1 through 4 that sin's trying to crouch and is trying to get me to rebel against God and be my own demise. How are the scriptures able to teach us to be wise unto salvation? We read that story and we go, how many times have I been Cain? How many times have I been Adam and Eve when they were looking at something and they tried to say, oh, yeah, I think that's good, and it just ended poorly for me. So what are we supposed to do? Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And if we're tracking with our Bibles, we go, yeah, I've seen that time and time and time again. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise. You're like, oh, yeah, man, when they're wise in their own eye, it goes bad. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord 
and shun evil. The Bible, God in his love, is trying to teach us. He's like, children, come here. Let me tell you the history of humans. Let me tell you what I wanted. <laughs> Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you how I'm fixing it. Let me tell you your role. Because he wants us to live in his story. Because as Christians, that's the story we claim is truth. Above everyone else's truth, above my personal truth, what God says is actual truth. And when I immerse myself in his story, what Psalms 1 says, hey, blessed is the one who meditates on his word day and night. That man's like a tree planted by a stream of water. God's life-giving presence and provision is constantly just flowing into that person's life. And God's making us wise because I've learned from the scriptures not to try to make my own decisions. I mean, I don't think the Bible is just being hyperbolic when it's like, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Because every time we look in the Bible when somebody tries to make a decision outside of God's will or outside of God's wisdom, it goes bad. Even some of the things that are like not even super significant, you're like, man, it just keeps going wrong. When you're like, every time that they actually go to the Lord and they seek the Lord's counsel about it, you're like, oh, that goes well. The Bible's like, yeah, catch on. Catch on to the role here, right? And so we take the wisdom the scripture gives us, and what we do is we immerse ourselves in it so much that it becomes who we are. So that even in the simplest things, um, God, how do, I, how do I discipline my children properly? Because if you have more than one kid, you know that they're different. <laughs> and the same thing doesn't work for each one. And so you have to pray, God, give me wisdom so that I can navigate properly with this child and with this child. Don't let me do it on my own because I've only been a parent for eight years. And I've had to go to my children so many times and be like, I'm sorry. Why? Because in a moment I responded the way I thought I should. Which I'm learning is almost never the right way to do it unless I've previously sought wisdom from the Lord about how to handle it. You know, I just keep messing it up and, and you're just like, gosh, I hate the worst feeling in the world is to look at my son when I've tried to discipline him and I see that he's broken, not because of the fact that I disciplined, but because of the way I did it. And there's just the pain that's in his heart. It's like, ah, I don't want to do that. And then when I realize I do that to people all the time, by just the way I act and the way I treat people, when I'm not getting God's wisdom for how to handle situations, I'm like hurting people. And it's not that my son didn't need corrected. It's the way I did it was so damaging to him as a person, right? And so then it brings that humility, and it, oh, yeah. God, you've already showed me. If I try to do this on my own wisdom, I'm going to mess it up. So I'm going to come to you, Jesus, right? In my marriage with my wife, if you're married, I mean, how many times have we caused hurt and pain to one another because we did what was right in our own eyes instead of being considerate of what the other person needed? And God's like, hey, I've got wisdom for you. You can walk in blessing. Like, what is God's desire for marriages? That we're back to that Genesis 2 state of perfection. That's what he wants for us. That in our marriages, one to another, where we become one flesh, we can be vulnerable and unashamed with one another. It's not just about the fact that they were naked. It's about the fact that there was such intimacy there. That that was God's heart for our marriages. And we can get back to that place if we rely on his wisdom. And we let him instruct us. Do you see that? And I'm just be fair here, since I said it, it takes both sides there. Cain, again, Cain and Abel, 
Abel was doing everything right. Cain's the one that gave in, and Abel suffered for it. But our goal, our goal is to, all of us, submit to Christ. In our churches, sometimes we're going to hurt each other. But if we'll submit ourselves to God, God can, A, show us how to make things right, how to go back and seek forgiveness, and how, how the one who needs to forgive can act in grace and forgive because they've been forgiven by the Lord, right? See how Scripture, God's like, my children, I will show you the way of abundant life. You have to choose to walk in it. You got to work it out. And none of us are going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. But God has given us his word to instruct us so that when we look at each other, we'll be able to go, that looks a lot like Jesus. That looks a lot like Jesus. And when the world sees this church, they'll look in and go, they look a lot like Jesus. Why? Because we literally just believe what he said. And we've allowed it to form us and to teach us who we are in him and to live in the role that he has for us. And as we do that, and we just consistently keep coming back to him, the Lord says, you're blessed. You're blessed. I'm going to bless you. And I think that's good news. Amen? Amen? Will you guys bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to I pray over you. Heavenly Father, we just, we're so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for your son, the snake crusher, who came and he destroyed he overcame the beast he never gave in to the serpent's deceptions he ruled and he reigned the way that we were created to and not only did he do that for himself but he went all the way to the cross to defeat it for us as well and now because your son lives in us those of us who have confessed him as christ as savior and lord we also can walk back in our original calling to rule and to reign that we don't have to give in to the sin crouching at our door any longer but we can rise up because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us. We can rise up and rule and reign over your good creation again. That we can walk in the blessing that you desire for us. Father, help us to immerse ourselves in your word. Help us to just learn your story and who we are in your story. Help us to live it out, Father, in all our ways to acknowledge you so that you can direct our paths. God, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, make our hearts receptive to what you're speaking to us, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're, uh, you're kind of new to church or maybe new to Jesus today, and what I've talked about has just maybe just caused your heart to come alive a little bit, maybe you feel a little bit of a fire burning inside of you right now, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit just bringing conviction. And he's just like, hey, this story is true. This is what I want. My son is the Savior. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you feel that way and you've never put your faith in Jesus, there is a room full of people who have put their faith in Jesus who would love to talk with you. You don't have to come talk to me. You can if you want to. But the person sitting right next to you would love to share with you about Jesus and to lead you in a prayer of confession that just says Christ is Lord. And you can join into God's story. You can find your place in God's story and start living for Jesus and become what God wants you to be in the world. Amen? Amen. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for letting me come and be with you guys today. Have a great rest of your day.